Nature Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden. On this episode, we are featuring Lorraine Johnson, Unsettling the Garden. It was the urban gardenista, one of our followers on Instagram, who recommended that I contact Lorraine Johnson to be on the podcast. Lorraine Johnson is a writer, gardener, and community advocate who lives in Toronto, Canada. Lorraine, who often refers to herself as a cultivation activist, is also a popular speaker on a broad range of topics, from gardening, native plants, to equality and justice. While visiting her website, I was drawn to the presentation she does called Unsettling the Garden, in which she talks about reconciliation. Reconciliation with nature, with the garden, and with the land, as well as people, indigenous people. Nature Revisited is thrilled to be featuring Lorraine Johnson on this edition of our podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Prairie Restorations is excited to sponsor today's episode of Nature Revisited. Founded in 1977 as one of the first native garden centers in the country, Prairie Restorations has grown and expanded the diversity of our native plants and services. Our mission is to produce and provide the most ecologically appropriate seeds, plants, products, and services to restore and manage native plant communities. Shop our online garden center and receive 10% off your order when you use promo code Nature Revisited. Be the change. Be a native gardener and help restore critical native habitat. Visit prairieresto.com to shop the highest quality native seeds and plants. That's prairieresto.com. Again, that's prairieresto.com. Now back to your show. So, Lorraine, it's great to have you on Nature Revisited. You live in Toronto, the world's most diverse city. Before Toronto, where did you grow up and how much did nature play a role? I grew up in uh, southwestern Ontario in a small city called Galt. There was a ravine close by. There was a pond at the bottom of the ravine. We called it Frog's Pond. And my brother was really into reptiles and amphibians. So we were always down by Frog's Pond. You know, I didn't really realize what an impact it had on me in terms of forming my relationship with nature until I went back to see Frog's Pond as a young adult and it was gone. It had been filled in for a housing development like wetlands all over. So my relationship became one of almost grieving. I moved to Toronto about 45 years ago, so this very large and, as you say, diverse city. 
it's diverse culturally and to some degree ecologically as well. Uh, it's a city of ravines and we're on Lake Ontario and there are many rivers and creeks. Toronto is also where two bird migration flyways meet. So it is quite diverse, but I think it's important to stress that there's not equity within that diversity in the cities. So when did you first start gardening and why? Um, I first started gardening at my first apartment, the first apartment I had on my own. There was a fire escape and there was a small rooftop that I had access to. And I started to grow basil in pots. It was actually really hard to just buy basil in the grocery store back then. So that was really my introduction to gardening. Although when I was growing up, my parents had been growing food in the backyard, which I found excruciatingly embarrassing because we were in a urban community where not a lot of people were growing food. And in some ways, it, I, I felt as a child that it signaled our need, our lack of prosperity. I kind of had those associations with food. As a young adult launching my career, I started writing books about environmental issues and started learning about ecological restoration and habitat gardening and growing native plants and realizing the incredible ecological value of that. And so I started habitat growing. I started growing native plants and creating habitat along with growing food. And of course, those two activities are so connected. Explicitly why I started gardening, I realized the way that gardening and cultivating the earth was one very personal way we could start to address some of the bigger issues, the bigger environmental issues that I was writing about. started to think about, for example, lawns and lawn care and the way that that connects with water issues and chemical pollution issues and air pollution issues with mowing. So making those connections made me realize, you know what, I want to take up gardening as a way to make a positive difference to some of these big environmental and social issues. And of course, gardening is just really fun. So as a gardener, when did the idea or the notion of reconciliation with nature, with your garden, first present itself to you? To some degree, at all times in my gardening journey, I guess, but maybe not explicitly at first. Personally, for me, seeing gardening in terms of a desire to be in a conversation with the planet, with the earth. You know, I wanted that conversation to be a healthy, good conversation. And in many ways, that's part of the project of reconciling with nature. But explicitly, where I really started thinking about this was here in Canada, we had something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. In their final report, and where they wrote, reconciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Canadians, from an Aboriginal perspective, also requires reconciliation with the natural world. If human beings resolve problems between themselves but continue to destroy the natural world, then reconciliation remains incomplete. And that just resonated so deeply for me. I started to think about how gardening 
could be a part of that and very naturally a part of this effort to reconcile with nature. When we're gardening, we're engaged with nature when we garden. And so what a, what a great place to really begin this work of reconciling with nature. I would define reconciliation as building a good relationship, having a healthy reciprocal relationship with nature. So not just thinking about what can I get from nature? What can I extract from nature? What does nature give me? But rather, how is nature a part of myself? How am I a part of nature? How am I not separate from nature, but truly a part of nature? So those are some of the things I started thinking about when I've read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report and read those very profound words about the need to reconcile with nature. Because that concept or that word, reconciliation, isn't one that is used often when talking about nature. And that was one of the things that really sparked my interest in your work, was that word. It's refreshing to hear it, but it's not something that most people connect with. Yes, and it's a very powerful word because I think in some levels we know intuitively, even if we're like, what, what does that mean, reconcile with nature? I think intuitively we can hear that as something positive and important to look into and worth looking into. And we intuitively know how restorative nature is for humans. We feel good when we're in a, in a natural area uh, where we are allowed to feel like we belong. Reconciling with nature, I think, makes so much sense. Um, however, we come to, however we come to it. So the title of this episode is Unsettling the Garden. In what way are you using it? And why do you want to unsettle the garden? Well, I think I would start by saying something that is very unsettling for, for many of us as gardeners to hear and unsettling in the sense of it might make us feel uncomfortable. What I would say is that the gardening tradition in North America is really steeped in colonialism. All forms and expressions of colonialism need unsettling, like disrupting. So unsettling in the sense of disrupting and then replacing, you know, decolonizing those traditions. So in the sense of feeling unsettled, a lot of these ideas around colonialism and decolonization are unsettling and they, can, they certainly can make me feel uncomfortable. And I think that's good, especially in the context of truth and reconciliation. Like as a non-Indigenous person, I know that if I don't feel uncomfortable, then I'm not pushing myself far enough in terms of understanding my role. What are my responsibilities to decolonization and unsettling colonialism? And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report called on everyone to do that work in whatever spheres we're engaged with. You know, I write about gardening and I, I talk about gardening, I do gardening, I talk about habitat starting to think about how gardening itself is implicated in settler colonialism and how can we unsettle that? How can we decolonize? 
Could you expand on some of the gardening traditions that you're talking about, and then maybe specifically in terms of your own gardening practice and how it has changed? So many North American gardening traditions were imported from the beginning of colonization from Britain and Europe. If we look, we can see the threads of them throughout the gardening traditions that many of us have been taught and learned and grew up with and that are promoted in the gardening literature and media. I think that we can find a very strong thread of the idea of taming the wild, controlling and dominating nature. I think as well, one of the gardening traditions where we can see this connection between gardening and colonialism is the focus on plants from elsewhere, what are often called exotic plants, brought from elsewhere, total devaluing of native plants that were here in North America when the colonists arrived. The devaluing that continues to this day, now I think it's changing. There's been an incredible groundswell of interest in native plants. I've been writing books about native plant gardening for more than 30 years, and the change in that time has been huge. If you look at the North American garden, it is dominated by plants from elsewhere, and native plants are treated as unworthy. And of course, the lawn is kind of the ultimate colonial landscape form. Now, I really want to that I acknowledge and appreciate all of the things that areas of lawn can do for us in the landscape. Fabulous for running around, playing games, having picnics, all that stuff. But the extent of the lawn, we have turned a huge swath of North America basically into monoculture. The kind of parallels with the project of colonialism I think those parallels are clear. But I think at the very heart of all this is the way that gardening traditions can be rooted in this sort of Western tradition of humans as separate from nature. And the garden as a place where we control nature in a way that only has to do with human desires around aesthetics and how something looks. So in that process of reconciliation with nature, what might that look like? Speaking personally for me and how my gardening practice has changed, it's really been about thinking of gardening and feeling gardening as a healing practice, as something that we can do for healing in, in terms of personal healing, well-being and mental health and physical health community well-being, the way that gardening can bring people together and, and help heal our communities, and ecological healing. In terms of what it might look like to reconcile with nature in the garden, I think it might look like asking ourselves, what are our responsibilities to the land and to the air and to all creatures? And I say responsibilities in a positive way. Like, I know that it's a heavy word and it can sound like, like a burden, but I also think if we, if we consider the joyous aspects of responsibility, 
are we supporting all life in the garden? Are we building connections and relationships? And for me, that's really about gardening with native plants. Another way this might look, the whole idea of reconciling with nature, like on the ground, are we acknowledging and making visible the natural processes that we participate in or can participate in, can celebrate when we garden? For example, in terms of water, I know that, you know, gardening traditions to water as a problem in the garden, you know, oh, that area is too wet, the water pools in this area, and that's a problem. In terms of reconciling with nature, that involves acknowledging that water is precious, and it's not a problem. It's our response to it that can be a problem. So what if instead of that ponding and pooling of water where it runs off, instead of looking on that as a gardening problem, looking on it as an incredible opportunity for a rain garden to reconcile with, with where that water wants to go. Celebrate it. Work with it. Acknowledge the natural process. Um, it might also, reconciling with nature in the garden might also involve our approach to an idea about weeds. Thinking instead, why is this species here? Why is that plant growing here? What is it telling me? How can I listen to what it's telling me and work with it? So really thinking about function and finding beauty in these connections and ourselves as part of that connection, not dominating, but in partnership. What do you think is the most important question we must ask ourselves when it comes to reconciling with nature? I think one really great question we can ask ourselves is, how much time do I spend just being with nature? And when I say nature, like that can be sitting beside a tree, beside a shrub, it doesn't matter where we are. How much time do I spend just being with nature? How do I feel when I am being totally present with the natural world? And I think that is one of the first questions that can lead us on that process of reconciling with nature. And another really important question is one about asking ourselves about our responsibilities to the land and to the air and to the water and to the earth and what our responsibilities are and how we can, how we can carry those out with joy and care. So I think those are two possible entry points into, into reconciling with nature. For everyone, it might be different. It's a very personal thing. I don't think there's any one formula, and I think that's part of the beauty of it. For many of us, the garden is a good place to start that reconciliation with nature. Can you suggest some practical and on-the-ground ways in which we can start this process, not just the idea of it, but actually doing it? Well, I think one very practical way to start is this idea of just watching and listening and being present in the garden, and then also thinking about how nature works. Thinking and watching and listening, kind of becoming attuned to nature, how you can actually take that into practices that you actually do in the garden will involve things like leaving the leaves 
where they fall. I mean, thinking about natural processes and how nature works, that's what happens. Leaves fall and they're recycled into the soil. Letting them be habitat for the morning cloak butterfly that overwinters as an adult in leaves. Leaving plant stalks. Uh, again, like that, that's what happens in nature. Leaving plant stalks, which then become cavities for bees. Like there are all these benefits of these practices of following nature's models, which I would say is part of reconciling with nature. Encouraging and engaging with biodiversity by planting native plants. You know, native plants, they support these ecological relationships. Given climate change, like gardening with native plants is actually a climate action. Supporting biodiversity is a climate action. Gardening organically to support all life, that's another way. In the garden, compost, recycle, build the soil, support the microbial life of the soil. So minimize soil disturbance. Those are some of the the actual on-the-ground ways. And, you know, once you start, doing these sorts of things or following this path, it is amazing to see all of the life that you're supporting in the garden, all the birds and the butterflies and the bees and the moths and the the incredibly diverse creatures that visit. And they will lead you even further on this path. So you give talks to different groups. What has been the response to your idea of unsettling the garden from the presentations that you have given? Well, I think that people have definitely responded with some discomfort, and I think that's okay. We're in a time of such change, such disparity, and such inequity that discomfort is a really appropriate response. The question then becomes, what do we do with our discomfort and how do we act on our discomfort? How do we take that discomfort forward? Often when I give talks, let's say about gardening with native plants or some of the other topics, gardening in a time of climate change and how to garden and adapt to climate change. After those talks, there are tons of questions and we engage in really great conversations and Q&As. After my Unsettling the Garden talk, which is a very personal talk, I find that there is a lot of silence. People respond with, you know, this is, there's a lot that you've talked about that I want to sit with and think about and really process. Through the grapevine, I heard, I did give the talk once to a group that there were some folks who felt very personally challenged and responded with anger to the talk. And I think in some ways, people can feel personally threatened by it, because it takes a lot of work to acknowledge one, as a non-Indigenous person, one's complicity in those systems. So, you know, in my talk on Settling the Garden, just trying to share stories of my own journey and that that experience and what I've learned. And sometimes that, that can be challenging to people. But for the most part, the response has been very engaged and thoughtful and encouraged a lot of soul searching and then thinking about action. And that, that was my hope. That was, the, that was my hope, was why I, I do that talk. You mentioned earlier about 
the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. It seems to me from one living in the States that something is going on in Canada that's not going on in the States. And when you talk about even just the idea of reconciling with nature and how that's connected to Indigenous people, that conversation, as far as I know, is not taking place in the United States. But I do believe it's in trying to take place in Canada. Can you briefly talk a little bit more about what that Truth and Reconciliation Commission is and why it was commissioned and then how that document has influenced the work that you do. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it was a commission that spent six years traveling to all parts of Canada, and it heard from more than 6,500 witnesses. And these were people, Indigenous people, who were directly or indirectly affected by the legacy of these Indian residential schools. The commission traveled uh, to all parts of Canada and heard from witnesses who shared their stories and experiences um, in those residential schools. And the report makes for horrifying reading, but it's important to read it, I, I feel, as a, as a non-Indigenous person. After, you know, six years of traveling and listening to witnesses, the report summarized the evidence talked about what was done to these generations of Indigenous people across this country. And then the report presents 94 calls to action. It really is a report that calls for transforming the basis of how everything is done with equity and justice for, for Indigenous people. The report calls on everyone, and it calls on non-Indigenous people to consider how this relates to everything, all aspects of our lives, and to acknowledge the truth of what the report found in its evidence, to acknowledge that truth, and then to move forward in terms of building relationship and building healthy relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous folks in this in this country called Canada. So many of us talk about the human responsibility to the earth and all creatures. And for many, this sounds like hard work. On the other hand, many of us garden to escape. How do you reconcile these two impulses? I completely understand and feel that wonderful washing over of self, that feeling of escape washing over us in the garden. So many of us are drawn to gardening for that kind of emotional, spiritual benefit. I think it's possible to hold two truths at the same time, which is, yes, we can feel that escape. We can go to the garden for escape, but it's also the place for many of us where we are in most connection and engaged with nature. So we can hold those two things at the same time. And I also think that it does sound like hard work to have this, you know, responsibility to the earth and to all creatures and to have this responsibility and to be called on to carry it out 
in the ways that we garden. And, and the garden is the place to actually do that. Talk about the joy of responsibility. Part of the source of that joy, not only being the estate, but also being the carrying out of responsibilities to all life and to the nature that we're a part of. And that we are, when we're gardening, we are caring. So I think there's quite a few lessons we can learn from the garden. For me, one of those most important lessons from the garden has been the way that it has taught and helped me to start this process of reconciling with nature, feeling truly connected with nature rather than apart from and separate from nature. The garden has taught me connection. You've written quite a few books over the years, and I heard that you have a new book coming out this spring. Can you share with us the title of that book and what it's about? Yeah. So for a long time, I've been writing books about uh, native plant gardening and restoring habitat, but it's actually only my recent book, which I co-wrote with Sheila Cola, comes out in April of this year, 2023, and it's called A Northern Gardener's Guide to Native Plants and Pollinators, Creating Habitat in the Northeast, Great Lakes, and Upper Midwest. And actually, I feel like it is the first native plant gardening book that I've written, and as I said, I co-wrote it with Sheila Cola, where the emphasis is actually on the relationship between native plants and pollinators. So I feel that this this idea of reconciling with nature is actually becoming not just a part of my sort of practice in the garden, but in the whole way I even think about gardening and write about gardening, to focus on the relationships, not, you know, not plants as things or insects as things and problems, but rather the relationships between native plants and the creatures they've, they've co-evolved with over, over millennia. So that kind of relational understanding of the world in terms of relationships. I feel like this new book, A Northern Gardener's Guide to Native Plants and Pollinators, really starts to express that different view of gardening as reconciling with nature. How important do you see this idea of reconciliation with nature when it comes to solving our climate crisis and shaping a path to the future on this planet? I think reconciling with nature is crucial to the future, well, to the human future and to life on Earth because I think that for too long, our relationship of dominance and control over the earth and creatures and a feeling of separateness from nature is what has allowed all of the damage that humans have done to the earth. The loss of biodiversity, all of those issues connected with the climate crisis have their root, I think, in a disconnect from nature. We, we harm what we don't value and don't value what we're not a part of. If we saw ourselves as connected and deeply reconciled with nature, I think we would care for nature. That message of reconciling with nature is so important to the future. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lorraine Johnson and that you visit her website, lorrainejohnson.ca. Nature We Visited would like to thank Prairie Restorations for sponsoring this edition of Nature We Visited. And I hope you will share Nature We Visited with family, friends, and colleagues and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N productions.com. The music for this episode is by Martin Decato, called 33 Summers. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden, and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Thank you.